Welcome to Podcasts on Demand, a continuing medical education activity. This activity includes the most recent and current clinical data presented by leading experts. If you are seeking continuing education credit, please review the disclosures and the requirements for a successful completion of the activity prior to listening to the podcast. A link is found in the podcast description that can direct you to this information. Terrific. Well, welcome, everyone. You're here for the Emerging Strategies to Address Management Challenges in Dyslipidemia. I'm Dr. Deepak Bhatt, Director of the Mount Sinai Fooster Heart Hospital and the Dr. Valentin Fooster Professor of Cardiovascular Medicine at the Icon School of Medicine in Mount Sinai. And my disclosures are listed on this slide. And I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Scott Wright, who is Professor of Medicine and Consultant in the Department of Cardiovascular Diseases at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science. And you can see his disclosures below as well. These are the learning objectives to discuss the pathophysiology of long-term exposure to elevated LDL cholesterol and its impact as a causal risk factor on atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease to define the approach to identification of risk stratus in patients with ASCVD with a focus on MI and ACS histories, assessing emerging clinical data on the efficacy and safety of current and emerging dyslipidemia treatments and the importance of LDL lowering, to recommend strategies to implement the most recent cholesterol guidelines for patients with any variety of related cardiovascular conditions based on LDL treatment goals. And then finally, to formulate practical team-based strategies to overcome treatment barriers related to appropriate use of PCSK9 inhibitor therapy. Here is the agenda for the evening. You can see here uh, a lot of different topics that we're going to cover, having to do largely with LDL cholesterol control. And first, let me start now with an evolution of treatment goals. So probably everyone in the audience has some appreciation of this intuitively and from your clinical practices, but LDL treatment goals really ought to be based on an individual's cardiovascular risk, and there are a variety of ways of doing this. But you can see here are some different cut points at different levels of risk and different LDL thresholds. And the units are written both in, uh, I guess I'll say, American and European units, the milligrams per deciliter and the millimoles per liter. 100 milligrams per deciliter equaling about 2.6 millimoles per liter, 70 milligrams per deciliter, about 1.8 millimoles per liter, and 55 milligrams per deciliter, about 1.4 millimoles per liter. And those respectively are various thresholds for moderate, high, or very high risk. So there are a number of different ways one can calculate risk, shown here is a particular risk score, the score risk score. But the concept really is that if patients are very high risk, such as with familial hypercholesterolemia, uh, with ASCVD or other major risk factors, if they've got severe CKD, such as a GFR less than 30, diabetes and target, target organ damage, uh, those sorts of patients are very high risk and you want to be super aggressive. Again, getting a cholesterol less than 55, some people might even say 50. Um, and then high risk is things like markedly elevated single risk factors, in particular, really high total cholesterol or LDL cholesterol, say 190 milligrams per deciliter or so. And, you know, that's probably patients with familial hypercholesterolemia, even if they don't have the label as such on them. 
And, um, and as you can see on the slide, some other things, it's different levels of CKD and different levels of diabetes severity and, and so forth. So uh, important uh, to have a sense of uh, the patient's risk and just how aggressive to be. These are some data from the Odyssey Outcomes trial. It's a trial of a PCSK9 inhibitor alirocumab uh, versus placebo uh, that showed benefit in the context of post-ACS patients. But the point here is the relationship between the LDL cholesterol and all-cause death. Uh, the point being the lower the cholesterol, the lower the risk of death, as well as other ischemic events. And it seems to be at least to an LDL of around 30-ish that rates are lower. So this is an important point uh, corroborating what other studies have found that lower is indeed better. And if we think about it, newborn babies have LDLs around 20 or 30. So that's probably a natural, normal LDL cholesterol, at least when it's attained uh, um, in non-pharmacological ways. But potentially later on in life when our LDLs have been elevated from bad genetics, bad lifestyle, some combination, uh, Getting lower with our LDL with pharmacotherapy can be quite useful to reduce ischemic events, at least in patients at appropriate risk levels. And this gets this concept here of cholesterol years. Uh, this is modeled after pack years of tobacco use. Here we're talking about cholesterol years. The point being, the higher the cholesterol, the longer the cholesterol is elevated. Well, the greater the area under the curve, the greater the cumulative risk of plaque formation, plaque progression, as well as ischemic events. And exactly when to initiate therapy with medicines and go beyond just lifestyle control depends exactly uh, what that area under the curve is. And you might want to be super aggressive in someone that has severe hypercholesterolemia because their cholesterol is elevated from a very, very early age. Uh, whereas someone that has a low LDL cholesterol lifelong due to good genetics and lifestyle and so forth, you know, there you um, might not initiate uh, therapy until there's some reason to initiate therapy, uh, such as evidence of plaque and so forth. So it really depends exactly where on the spectrum patients are, how aggressive you might be. Well, let me turn things over now to Dr. Wright for the next segment. Hey, thank you, Dr. Bott, and good evening, everyone. And it's a pleasure to join you and to really work with Dr. Bott on this, who I think has been one of the real leaders in the last 20 years in our specialty to uh, not only address risk, but to provide some great therapies with this trial data on mitigating risk. So let's talk about quick treatment challenges. What do you consider to be the most challenging aspect in managing dyslipidemia? A, would it be achieving the target lipid levels that uh, Dr. Bott just talked about? Or B, patient adherence to medication? A C, lack of time due to workload, <clears throat> or D, the cost of the medications to achieve it. Seems like a great number of you uh, are saying that, uh, you know, adherence is the uh, is the big issue here. And I, I have to agree with you. It's a real challenge. So let's continue on now if we can. Uh, it turns out that uh, achieving the old guidelines and targets for LDL was quite challenging. Uh, in U.S. and European studies uh, looking at uh, thresholds. So if we looked at 70 milligrams per deciliter, which is now the new threshold for high-risk patients, uh, well, roughly one in four patients can get to that or three out of four are not able to. <laughs> and in the study cited, 73.5% of patients had an LDL greater than 70 milligrams per deciliter in the U.S. study. <clears throat> and when we look at the European uh, achievement of 
the same threshold. Uh, it's just as it's just the same. You know, uh, almost ninety percent of patients, eighty-eight point one, were not able to achieve an LDL of less than fifty-five. So it's very hard to meet the thresholds. And uh, but we're going to give you some ideas tonight about how to do that with uh, multiple medications and judicious use of various lipid-lowering therapies. Uh, when we look at the Gould Registry over the last over two years of uh, lipid-lowering therapy, you can see that uh, you know very few patients really could achieve, uh, again, the LDL goals that uh, we have for them. So it's not really uh, just a problem in clinical practice. It's a problem you know, throughout all practices, not just among cardiologists, but among others as well. So what's the evidence for the effect of LDL cholesterol, right? Uh, what we know is that lowering LDL, like uh, we saw with uh, a number of outcome studies since the uh, early 90s, that lowering LDL cholesterol uh, carries a uh, reduction in risk uh, that is, you know, roughly uh, 25 to 30 percent, as you can see here. Uh, acute use of statins in the first year is about a 9 to 10 percent risk reduction. And beyond that, it's about a, almost a 22 percent risk reduction. So it rounds out here to at least a 15 percent risk reduction. Again, lowering LDL with other therapies like PCSK9 agents also carries the same degree of risk reduction. So it's not just the medication you use, but it's the LDL that you achieve in your patients. So medicines, the choices for medicines are important, but even more important than that is getting the LDL down to the new threshold range. And what's the benefit of taking the LDL lower and lower? Uh, well, here it is. This nicely demonstrates that you can see that if you're most aggressive at lowering LDL, going out to the combined quartiles of five and six, you're getting almost a 50% reduction in, uh, in events uh, over a number of pool clinical trial data. So if a patient comes in and says uh, to you, uh, my LDL is 80, is there any benefit to going lower? I just don't want to have to pay for a second generic medicine like azetamide. The answer is yes, it is. Uh, because the further we go down, the better, it, the greater their risks are reduced. And even very low LDL cholesterols when achieved with PCSK9 drugs, like we saw with Odyssey Outcomes, that has also been demonstrated in the Fourier open label extension, confer additional risk reduction. There really is no LDL that's too low to take patients to. Why do we talk about this? Well, um, Let's talk about lipoproteins for a moment. Then we'll, then we'll go through the teaching parts. We have another poll question for you. Which lipoprotein is most directly associated with development of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease in dyslipidemia? Choice A would be LDL. Choice B is HDL. Choice C, VLDL. Or choice D, chylomicrons. Well, I think most of you recognize that it's, it's LDL that's really the driver of uh, atherosclerotic risk and disease burden in, in the patients that we see. And why is that? Well, the liver serves as the clearinghouse for all of the blood fats that we consume, and it combines a single protein molecule, ApoB, along with triglycerides and cholesterol into what we call an ApoB lipoprotein, and it secretes it into plasma as very low-dense lipoprotein, or VLDL. Uh, once in the circulation, triglycerides are removed from the VLDL by the lipoprotein lipase enzyme group, and the LDL is more concentrated into this particle. And once this uh, triglyceride removal process is completed, we now have a VLDL remnant particle. 
And when most of the triglycerides are then gone, it becomes LDL. So if you cannot remove all of the triglycerides, you have a lot of VLDL or elevations of non-HDL cholesterol by the simple uh, uh, view of uh, the lipid profile. But if most of the triglycerides are able to be hydrolyzed and removed, then you're largely left with LDL. That's an ApoB-containing lipoprotein. And it's in the circulation for at least 48 hours. And then that ApoB-LDL combination often gets oxidized and is taken up by endothelium into the subendothelial space where it tries to store these fats as a way to get them out of the plasma. And that creates, as you can see, an atherosclerotic plaque. And then the presence of the oxidized LDL and sometimes VLDL draws in other uh, inflammatory cells like tissue macrophages that come from circulating monocytes. And then this results in uh, what we consider to be more than a fatty streak, but a mature plaque. And if enough inflammation accompanies this, the fibrous cap of that uh, plaque is then weakened and the patient can actually see a rupture of the fibrous cap and they can have an acute coronary syndrome. And you can see that just as a higher gradient of LDL and plasma drives the formation of atherosclerosis, so a lower gradient of LDL then in, to some extent reverses the atherosclerotic burden. It clearly arrests the uh, development of plaque. And in many cases, that plaque can then positively remodel into a less risky plaque and the patient has a lower risk of an acute coronary event. We hope you found this podcast useful and educational. To receive continuing education credit and to download your printable certificate, please go to the activity page at practice.cme.com to complete the post-test and evaluation to receive continuing education credit.